David Wilcox. I'll be on Musicians on the Record. I'll be talking about not just how, but why the music changed my life. Hit it. Rain while we were in there, so it shimmers at our feet. Reflections of the skyline sparkling above. So we ride up to the top floor, falling more in love. Hi, welcome to Musicians on the Record. I'm David Ward. You've heard the music, now hear their story. And you have definitely heard this guy's music. So much great music by David Wilcox, who is on the record today. This guy is a a songwriter's songwriter, of course, a folk guitarist, David Wilcox from North Carolina. We've had the pleasure of meeting and going to the show, but we just love so much of his music. And, uh, you know, my goodness, from everything from How Did You Find Me Here, Eye of the Hurricane, That's What the Lonely Is For, I could go on and on. Black Dog, Breaking the Cup. Oh, my God. All So many great songs. I was so excited to be able to talk with David when we were able to do this interview. I'm really psyched to bring this to you today. We'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world. And please let us know which musician story you'd most love to hear. Please subscribe to the audio podcast here. And if you actually want to see David and I having the interview, all of our interviews are on video as well. They live on YouTube. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all of them are on our website at musiciansontherecord.com. Here he is, incredible guitarist and singer-songwriter. So excited to talk with him today, Mr. David Wilcox. Thank you. Hi. Yeah, so glad to have you here. Can I ask, I mean, I've been listening to your music since mid-90s, I think, mid to late 90s. How would you describe your music? Because I sometimes I think it's folk, sometimes I think it's guitar, but I think yeah. you're in a class kind of by yourself. Well, I think the way I describe it, if people have time, <laughs> we got to say uh, this is the stuff that keeps me sane. This is the stuff that I hold myself accountable to. Uh, that is um, stories from my experience that inspire me to continue to expect life to be big and high and wide and deep and interesting. Mm. I love uh, the fact that my heart is cracked open to music, that I feel music deeply. And I use that so that I can navigate the subtleties of my life. Mm. Um, When I'm crafting a song, I can find a way to feel something that makes it obvious to me, uh, you know, kind of like listening to the things that my heart is trying to tell me that my mind can't always understand. But through music, I can. It's sort of the oracle, the the interpreter, heart to mind. That's why I use music. And that's every time I come to write a song, that's what I expect. I expect it to guide my my way through what's important in my life. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's really amazing to hear. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say quite that way. So that's an amazing description of that, David. Can you say about how you even got to have that creative process? Well, I know that 
I thought my life was kind of put together. I thought I, I, I thought I knew what I wanted. And then I went off to college and I was going to, you know, like major in physics. I was going to fix stuff and design stuff. And I heard the sound of a guitar played in open tunings. And it was at the end of the stairwell at the dorm. And there was a woman who was playing guitar in the stairwell about two flights down. And the sound had this beautiful reverb to it. And uh, it had this power to open my heart. And I had always loved the sound. I had, there were songs that had moved me, but I had never known that music was a tool that I could use to, to tune my own life. Um, and so um, that's what changed. That's, that's how I knew I had to have music in my life. Amazing. And I didn't know that I would do it for a living. I just knew that I would spend a lot of time uh, wanting to experience the way I felt under the influence of a good song. And I started learning other people's songs. Mm -hmm. At first, it was Joni Mitchell songs. But I would learn these songs, and I found that I would sometimes change one of the verses because the song it needed to apply really clearly to my life. And so if one of the verses wasn't as accurate as I wished it could be, I would kind of shape it to my life. Um, And I didn't realize at the time that that was, you know, wrong. (laughs) I didn't realize I was basically graffitiing paintings, you know? Um, And I would, you know, play these versions of songs for friends and stuff and, and uh, eventually I realized if I'm going to be messing with other people's songs, I should probably write my own. <laughs> so that's when I started the writing process. Amazing. And, and I, the weird part is I played guitar for a couple of years before I ever really sang. Hmm. And I, I knew that uh, I loved the sound of the instrument, but I didn't trust the sound of my own voice. Okay. And I would want, I would try to get other people to sing. Mm, yes. And uh, eventually I kind of got talked into singing. Yeah. I got tricked into singing. Yeah. Amazing. I think it's worked out pretty well. That's, that's uh, really amazing to hear because I think you have a beautiful voice. And that's one of the things I love about your music is the guitar and your voice with it. And really you're so on with creating that story. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like it was really college age when you fell in love with music and the guitar like that, not necessarily at a younger age. No, when I was young, there were songs that moved me, but I never imagined that I would play music. Okay. What were some of those songs that moved you, can I ask? Sure. Um, I think one of the earliest ones was a strange little song by Dion, uh, my brother had this record that he had got at a record club and it was a, a compilation of Warner Brothers music and it was called Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies. And one of the songs on there was by Dion and it was this uh, uh, strange kind of, uh, it went something like, 
Sit down, old friend. There's something in my heart I must tell you. In the end, people at the very end, there is nothing but love. Nothing but love. And for, there's something about that song that seemed so crazy honest. It seemed like here was a grown-up who for some reason was was this renegade who was able to speak the truth about all the bullshit that mm-hmm. the grown-ups were spewing yeah. and 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 cut through it and say to me this is what matters no matter what they try and sell you. Right. And to okay. me it just felt strangely honest yeah. and uh strangely um kind of vulnerable. Yes. And of course I had no idea that that musician was the same guy who had had rock and roll hits. And so it became even more wonderful and strange when I found out that um, he had, um, he had savored what society had to offer and sort of sniffed it out on his reconnaissance and come back with this information. He said, (laughs) don't buy it. (laughs) And, uh, uh, to me, it just felt revolutionary. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a lot of other songs. Sure. That was one. I was maybe, I don't know, nine years old. Wow. And it just grabbed me. Yeah, it sounds and, amazing. Uh, so, so that's the kind of thing that I, that I remember as life-changing. And there have been lots of life-changing songs over the years. Sure. Um, I tend to find a new song that stirs my heart, and I just listen to it. Over and over and over and over and over, as if I'm not. It, it's I want the transmission. I want the soul message. Mm-hmm. I want to experience what led the person who wrote it to write it. Right. I want to experience that um, yeah. that change of heart. Yes, absolutely, amazing. Yeah, can I can I go back even further, David? Too was was there anybody musical in your family, parents, siblings uh, that supported you, or was that not there? Well, uh, my dad loved music. He didn't play music, but he you know had a record collection that was interesting, and he he would sort of give me these guided tours of like this particular recording, <clears throat> he'd say, listen carefully, you know, and he would take me through some of his favorite recordings and, and tell me about the different musicians and, um, and tell me about sort of like, sort of why the song moved him. Um, and that was important too. It was wild. Sometimes I would play my, a song that I liked for my dad, yeah. um, like a Sly and the Family Stone song or something, you know, and he would listen to the lyric um, and really, uh, take it seriously. Um, you know, and, uh, like he would listen to a phrase in a song and he would say, that's true. Not just that's clever or I like that, but you know, like he would hear the Sly and the Family Stone song, you know, there was something about you have you to complete and there is no deal. And he'd say, that's true. There's no shortcut to becoming your authentic self. And I'd say, where, where, is, where are you getting this? That's not in the song. And he'd say, oh, yes, it is. Listen to this. <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd say uh, um, something about uh, 
You can be free, well, at least in your mind, if you want to be. These are these, both of those fragments are from the same song, I think. Uh, and and uh, and he'd say that's a crucial line if you want to be, because there's a lot of people who aren't free, but it's not because they can't be. It's amazing, you know. Yeah. And so it seemed to me like um, he was taking music from a commodity that was used by advertisers to separate people by demographic. Yes. And he was suddenly turning it into a, uh, a secret portal where people decided to be honest yeah. and, uh, sort of like, uh, as if it were radio free America, but it was sort of this, the, the, the heartfelt version of that, the, the soulful version of that. Yes. And, uh, you know, um, music to navigate by. It was, yeah. it was cool that he took it seriously yeah. like that. So it sounds like you both, you both shared that. Cause that's one of the things I find in your music. It's sometimes it's just fun. You know, the rusty old American dream, uh, with the car song, but, so much of your music has a deeper meaning, especially around relationships and healing. Sounds like that's a connection you and your dad shared. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, were there were there when you started with guitar? Do, do you remember your first guitar? Actually, I still have my first guitar. Um, uh, for the first year, I was borrowing guitars when I was first learning, uh, and luckily on campus, there's a lot of guitars to borrow. Um, but the first guitar I bought was a Guild D25C, a cherry stained carved back mahogany, uh, maybe it's maple, I don't know. But anyway, it's a, a pretty good Guild, you know, and Guilds are built really strong, which can be, you know, sort of like too bad about the sound, but right, you can right. stand on it, you know. <laughs> but the funny thing about those Guilds is, uh. They take a long time to open up, and they have that kind of um, that wild, well, the Nick Drake sound, that the sound that is so kind of um, uh, kind of round and um, the way the bass notes blend, it has a, a warmth that is uh, yeah. it, it's got a heart to it. Yes, and uh, and. So that that guitar um, traveled a lot, yeah, and uh, beautiful, yeah, it's pretty fun. And and you obviously have a guitar with you today. It looks like a beautiful yeah. beautiful instrument. Can you tell us about this guitar? This is the David Wilcox signature Rain Song. Now, Rain Song guitars are carbon fiber. They're very very light. Normally, if you grab the guitar by the heel like this, mm -hmm. it will tip because the neck weighs more than the body. Wow. But that's just an opportunity for me to fill the guitar with pickups. Wow. Uh, I like a choir of pickups because each one is good at one part of the musical spectrum. And so like the, the piezo RMC for the, for the real low bass and then the, the low from the sunrise, the magnetic pickup. Both of those are pretty impervious to low frequency feedback because yeah. they're not they're not um, they're not amplifying the movement of the body of the guitar. One is just the strings itself, and the other, the magnet, just senses the movement of the of the string. 
Uh, so it, it doesn't get low frequency feedback. And then above that, uh, see, normally you'd be up in the mids, the 1K, 2K, and that's the area where piezo is useless because it sounds ganky and horrible and bitter, okay. brittle. So then you come into the range of the, the, the feather, which is a under, under the bridge plate. Um, and it's really good for mids, but it's useless for lows because it does turn the whole top into a voice coil kind of thing. And so uh, the, um, that's great for mids. And then above that, the Joe Mills mic inside here. And then um, there's uh, other transducers just to kind of get the percussive sound where my thumb hits. And, uh, um, and there's an onboard preamp that... Uh, takes six different channels and mixes them together. And then uh, I have three output jacks. Each one gets a stereo um, pendulum um, a preamp module mm. uh, that has hardwired EQ in there. And then it goes down to a submixer. Uh, I'm using right now the, the Bose uh, tone match that they sell with the, the, the their linear array stuff. And, uh, that has a lot of digital EQ, so I can get a guitar sound that is worth amplifying. It's you can you know step onto a festival stage with no sound check. Just tell them set it flat, and it will sound great. Tiny little planet swirling through the stars in a traffic jam of orbits, Jupiter and Mars, dodging down the beltway, driving way too fast with the searchlights of the galaxy. Twinkling from the past At the edge of where it's turning Going faster as it spins There's a view into the darkness Where emptiness begins A tiny little planet A backyard with a hedge We were safe there in the middle ah, when the view is from the edge da, 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 Like the ones up on the towers, really feel it sway when they're dashed against the railing and the railing breaks away and they're hanging by the wreckage and they feel it start to give. If they had the time to tell you, 
tell you how to live. When the movie's over and we're back out on the street, it rained while we were in there, so it shimmers at our feet. Reflections of the skyline sparkling above. And so we ride up to the top floor, falling more in love. The elevator opens, an old man with a cane. He steps in kind of slowly and winces with the pain or maybe with the memory to see that dress you wear in a fashion so familiar ah, he's trying not to stare Cause you look like his first love When he could run for miles She wore a dress just like yours And now it's back in style And he can see the beauty That you cannot perceive Until you earn the eyes to glimpse it just before you leave The balcony is bending It will take our breath away The fall is never ending But it's here we want to stay The precipice of darkness Our toes right on the ledge we were safe there in the middle ah, well, The view is from the edge A galaxy of stardust Nothing but a whisk Whirling through the darkness Into the abyss Tiny little planet, a backyard with a hedge. We were safe there in the middle, but the view is from the edge. Absolutely gorgeous. Thank you so much for that. That's one I have not heard before, David. What's the name of that song? The View from the Edge. From the Edge. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, incredible. You know, you have such an amazing style on the guitar, and you talk about sort of that open style, um, but you also talked about when you're sort of tapping, or what I might call drumming, uh, because I'm a drummer, um, where did you start developing that style? Where was were there teachers that came along for you, or is this all self-taught? How did that happen? Well, uh, there's a there's a there's a thing that I got from Chuck Pyle that is uh, kind of it's um it's 
It's a right hand thing. And the thing about it is this, muting the bass string. So the rhythm comes not just from the beginning of each note, but from the end of each note. So the resting of the thumb back onto the bass string on the right hand there, to me, that really scoots a song forward. power the 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 groove you can get on an acoustic guitar yeah um you really have to be careful with dynamics because you don't have a lot right you don't have a lot of power but if you dampen it down you can still get that feeling of of dynamics because you're really using the quiet between the notes you're really using the the silence um and so to me that's a that's that's what started the whole tapping thing. And then it was just like happy accidents, like little mistakes where the thumb would land or the finger would land. As I slapped down like that, it hits the side of the fretboard and it gets this. So uh, I love the uh, all the subtle little uh, percussive sounds. And when you have a pickup sitting right under there, when it's plugged in, you can actually get a little... You know, that's right. Kicks, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. Hooray for happy accidents. That's fantastic. Yeah. 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 So, you know, you, you, that, that guitar, that music hits you in college, you fall in love with it. When did it become where you got that first big break for yourself that you started playing and touring and recording albums? Well, I think um, I'm going to answer that the truest way, which is kind of a little off the question. Sure. Um, it wasn't a big break in terms of like industry stuff, but the thing that made music possible for me was being really moved by musicians who held their music with dignity, regardless of how the world perceived it. And to me, that was, um, Musicians who either had gotten a taste of success and decided they 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 needed to keep their music safe, mm. or it was musicians who, for one reason or another, just decided the, the music was somehow too sacred. Mm. Um, and so I would hear these people, and my first response was, "Oh my goodness, everyone should hear this." And my second response was, "Um." Why do I need everyone to hear it for me to know that it's really good? Um, that that's the natural response, you know, to to imagine that I'm just at the at the start of some new musical trend, you know, and I get to sort of hear it as it first appears. Sure. And uh, and yet there was something more interesting to me about, you know, there are songs that are still ungoogleable. You know what I mean? There are songs that I can hear it in my head. And there is no recording. Right. And the person who did it is gone. Yeah. And, you know, that, that, that's fascinating to me that there is music that can be lost yes. um, 
And so it just made me listen really hard because I was in a setting where I was thinking to myself, oh, I will never hear this again. And I, I need to remember it as well as I can right now. Yeah. And so to me, that uh, put music in a whole new kind of framework. It, it made it uh, a way of savoring the present tense instead of always making a record, a recording, mm. uh, a remembering of the past. This was um, really honing my ability to, to listen right now. And, and so uh, that was a fascinating change for me. And so I started, like, I couldn't walk past a street musician. I would be, you know, in whatever town, yeah. Dublin, yes. and I'd be walking with some friends, and then, where's Dave? <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh, did he stop at that street musician? Well, of course he did. You can't <laughs> walk past a street musician. Right. You know, so they would walk back and find me, and I'd be like, just listening so hard and they'd say, come on, let's go. Yeah. And I'd say, this will never happen again. I, I need to hear one more song, you know? And <laughs> so it was um, such a great uh, lesson for me uh, to imagine that there, that music for me could be kind of my path, not just kind of something I like to do, not just the thing that I make, not just a, trying to make another widget for the industry, right. but really it could be how I tune my life. Mm -hmm. It could be how I come alive. Yeah. And, and the reason why I say it could do all that is because I love it so much. I'm willing to spend the time mm -hmm. to discern the subtle differences between a pretty good line and a really good line as I'm writing a song. Mm -hmm. and so gradually I can craft a song that is, that is truer than I know, that is, that is, um, uh, that holds a wisdom that I haven't even arrived at yet. And I do it just by each time there's a musical idea or a lyrical idea, instead of holding it up to my clever mind and saying, you know, is this good? I hold it up to my heart and I say, uh, how will this change me? You know, I feel how, what effect does this have on the way I see the world, on the way I've feel about life. Yeah, that whole change was, was spectacular for me. And that's what uh, really made it possible for me to work at music for a lifetime because it made it uh, bigger than just uh, something that I enjoy, something that I'm good at. It made it something that, that makes me a better person. And that was worth the time. Yeah, that's that's amazing to hear. And and it wasn't just like let's put out another hit. This was really about what feeds your soul here. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Like, can we talk for a minute? You're a drummer. You yeah. should understand. Yeah. Can we talk for a minute about pocket? Sure. Now I know I'm just an acoustic guitar player. Uh -huh. I'm not an authority on pocket. Uh -huh. But I have hung with the most wonderful bass players in the world. Yeah. I mean, it is really amazing when I look at who I've recorded with. Yeah. Some really fantastic bass players. Yeah. And when I talk to somebody like Victor Wooten about Pocket, sure. yeah. you know, it's hard for him to describe it because it's it's like, you know, how does the fish describe water? Right, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or like Will Lee, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm recording this song with Will Lee wow. and he says, let's go back to bar 17. I had an out of pocket experience. <laughs> and I say, okay, okay. 
my my perception of pocket mm-hmm. is the difference between um, like when you're not in the pocket, mm-hmm. it's as if you are trying to balance your note on top of where the note should go. It's like balancing a ball on top of a hill. Sure. You know, and it's either like rolling off this side or rolling off that side. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's difficult. You're like trying. You're like, ah, adjusting. You're like, right. And then when you're in the pocket, Mm. it's like, no, no, you're just setting the ball in the bottom of the groove, of the bottom of the valley. Yeah. It can't move. Right. You know, like you have the feeling like if you were to slow down, Mm. the click yeah. would slow down. Right, right. <laughs> because you're so in it that it's not even a different thing. It's just like, right. no, this is just, this is how we breathe. This is how yeah, we, that's right. This is, yeah. It's so easy. Yes. And so for me, when I was first learning this, uh, I learned it from actually trying to play bass. I would play bass on recordings and it would take me all day, yeah. but I would have these moments where I would like feel it. Yeah. And the part was simple. It's nothing complex, you know, yeah. but I was just like trying to feel what it does yeah. to, you know, and I started to feel this sense of there is a way that rhythm can be not just a round wheel that turns evenly one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, but it can be kind of like an egg shaped wheel where if you were on a cart that had an egg shaped wheel, yeah. you would get this push pull, you would get this heartbeat, you would yes. get this kind of like, yeah this movement, which is, which is life. It's right. like a pulse. It's a, and, and to me, the feeling of that opens this wild window into, uh, you know, as a culture, we don't even have language for it. You'd have to talk to like a Qigong master. Right. You'd have to talk like someone who has spent years in meditation yes. and has felt the self dissolve into the oneness, you yes, know, right. because that's what you're talking about. Right, exactly. It's like when you're playing, but you're not even playing, you're just listening and there happen to be notes that are coming from your fingers, but pff, right. how are they any different from any of the other notes? It's just, yeah. and so my experience of pocket <laughs> <laughs> It's like this microcosm. It's like, how deep do you want to go? Do right. you want to take the red pill or right. the blue pill? That's do right. you want to wake up from this or not? Right. And so the fascinating thing for me about music is it's all like that. Every little part of it. Yes. Um, the customs of music are not just arbitrary customs. They have reason for being. They have powerful um, archetypal uh, sort of missions in our life. And, uh, and we get just a little fragrance of that nowadays. You know, you read about how the Greeks used to feel about particular modes and you think, Oh my God, don't listen to that unless you're going to go off to war now, because otherwise it will make you crazy. (laughs) And you know, we think, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But the power of music, when we let it really move in and through us, is very different than the way most people come to music. Yes. Most people come to music, like Frank Zappa would say, not to listen to it, but to wear it. They want the band t-shirt. They don't necessarily like the sound. <laughs> <laughs> they use it to sort themselves out according to what demographic appeals to them. That's not what I'm talking about. Right, right. When, when the power of music moves through our minds, yeah to a place where it's speaking a truth that is bigger than our separation, yeah. okay. then there's lessons there. Then we, 
we glimpse something, we get a taste of something that we say to ourselves, oh my God, I want that in my life. Not just while I'm playing, I want it all the time. Right. So for me, what happened was I would hear a really good song and my heart would come alive. And I would say to my heart, don't worry, we'll find it. And I'm not talking about one more song. I would say to my heart, I'm going to find a way to live like that. I'm going to find a way that I can speak with that bravery, with that vulnerability, with that truth all the time. And that was my goal. Mm -hmm. And I was using songs to get there, but songs were not the goal. I didn't want to write more songs. I wanted to learn how to be more authentic using songs as a compass, you know, the way you'd use a compass on a trail. The compass is not the destination. It just happens to line itself up with something that's bigger than the whole world. (laughs) And you can put it in your pocket. So that's what music is for me. It's, It's a thing that is small in itself that is somehow aligned with something huge. And therefore, I can navigate with it. That's what I use it for. That's so beautiful, Dave. It's, a, it's like a spiritual experience that you're talking about with your music. Um, so let's using the compass metaphor again with the songs, with the music, where do you want that to go for yourself yes. or, or others? Do you have a, a destination or a goal with that, or is it just wherever it goes? Now, you said for others. How do I want this music to feel to others? Yeah. You know, it's the last thing on my mind. That's the weird part. Interesting. I love playing for people. Performing is a big deal for me, and I love feeling the heart of the group. I love, you know, I never have a set list. I'm always, like, asking what people need, where where we need to go from here. I make up spontaneous songs for people who are going through something. But the weird part is it feels to me like the thing that I'm honoring, the thing that I'm after is uh, a, a, a presence, a vulnerability, uh, and a, um, a juiciness of life, a, a place where life gets really delicious and interesting. And so uh, to me, that's, uh, that's gotta be the foremost goal. And, um, I, I know that music gets subjected to, you know, marketing meetings where people sit around and say, you know, what's our target audience here? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 I can't understand that. I don't get that because to me, if something's really true, you know, if someone is going through a time in their life when they need that song, mm. then that song will speak to them. Yeah. Um, and and it will give them a sense of, oh, other humans have been here and they've been brave enough to tell the truth about it. And here we are. So, yeah. Well, and I, I can say for me, that's really true. Your music has touched me in that way as well. I mean, and I, you know, as a therapist and coach, as well as a musician, I've I've recommended your songs to people when when they're going through heartache or depression or, you know, and I, I actually found your music through the gift of an ex-girlfriend when the relationship didn't work. That was one of the parting gifts of your music. So, uh, thank you to her and thank you to you, but you know, stuff like that's what the lonely is for or break in the cup. These are not your average songs. These are like deep, uh, emotional resonating stuff that I think most people know. And so when I think about that, I go, wow, I wonder what made David write that song, as well as I go, this is a guy who seems to have done his work, 
as well. Like he, he must be doing something here, spiritual based, insight based, whatever. Um, you know, that process is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, I am grateful that uh, music gave me the appetite to search out that kind of intensity uh, in in other areas, and uh, um, it it is. Uh, the, I guess the most satisfying parts for me are. Uh, I happen to be working at something that draws a certain kind of person to me. Um, and I think that's a really interesting, uh, sort of warning that, that young musicians should get. Like if you, if you sing songs about, you know, I am so miserable and I fell in this hole and I can't get out, Mm -hmm. you're going to meet people who are feeling that and they're going to, they're going to find their tribe with you and they're going to expect you to be like that. And, uh, you know, if, if you, if you work in a, uh, if, if you fill up gasoline tanks, uh, everyone you meet is empty. Right. And, uh, and, and so, uh, it's a fascinating thing, the kind of people that come to you. And so I decided I wanted to draw to me people who, uh, are the kind of people who would climb a mountain and look at a view, not just the kind of people who um, uh, kind of drift down to uh, where coincidence takes them, but um, people who are kind of coming to life with a sense of, um, I really want to make an adventure out of this. Uh, And uh, I guess I got that, appetite from traveling. I, I went to college, as I told you, I learned about guitar. Yeah. I, I left after like a semester okay. and I traveled, I traveled, um, for about four years, mostly by bicycle and I was traveling light. I would lead bike trips in the summer, make a little money. And then I would find someplace warm. I would just get the occasional job that I would bump into, you know, picking grapes in France or whatever. And I would, um, I would just kind of let coincidence uh, surprise me with adventures. I would ask at every intersection, you know, I would sort of look down each intersection and wait for a feeling in my gut, like where, which path leads to the juiciest life. Yeah. And it was a playful way of saying um, there are complex ways to navigate through this life. I want to get all the information I can, not just from my logic, but from my intuition and also sending out this wonderful mystical sense of, uh, asking the universe, do you want to play? Mm -hmm. And again, uh, you know, if you say that with earnestness to the universe, (laughs) (laughs) hang on, because, uh, the universe wants to play and it will take you places that change you. And, so I love uh, that sense of uh, surprise me. Um, my uh, my prayer was always something about like take what you need and roll them. Take what you need in terms of like the the things that I want to hang on to, the things I I hold precious that I think um, that I'm somehow attached to. 
I'm saying, you know, I'm willing to give those up. What I want is the mystical sense of life being surprising and fresh and juicy. Mm -hmm. And so in my travels, uh, I would, I would bump into miraculous coincidences, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and just every time that happened, it reinforced this sense of where we search, we are searched for. It reinforced this mystical sense of, uh, there is stuff that happens in the universe that can't really be explained with what we can see. And I was making up my own language for it. I I didn't think anybody else had felt that. And of course, mystics from all traditions have felt that, but that stuff has always been suppressed by the people who were selling us our material happiness. And so (laughs) it's hard to find. Um, And so I I bumped into it and I I would, uh, I I kept being, uh, I kept reinforcing that in myself. And so that's what I come to with the music all the time. That's what I want. I want a song that will shake me out of my uh, assumptions yeah. and and help me uh, see things fresh. Yeah. Um, Incredible. Are any, any examples of that synchronicity, playing with the universe moments that come to mind that especially helped with your career? Wow. Well, uh, playing the right song at the right time for the right person can get you a record deal. Mm. Uh, I, I, I had the experience of, uh, here's somebody who sits down at a table and talks to me about a particular song. And instead of talking to him as if I'm proud of the way the song is crafted, I talk to him as if, Music makes sudden friends. Mm. Music is a way to start a conversation with somebody in the very heart instead of at the very surface. And so he comes to me talking about this song, and I assume he's had a relationship and just the way the song described. And I start talking to him about the forgiveness that I came to, Mm. that the song speaks about, Mm. um, and how that forgiveness uh, changed the story from one of heartbreak to one of heart opening. Mm -hmm. And so uh, little did I know that was a person who gave me a record deal. Uh, I, I just, I, I just trusted in the fact that music opens hearts like that. And amazing. Yeah. So that, is that how your record career began then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Are are most of your songs or a lot of them autobiographical? Yes, and uh there is um kind of some creative geography. Uh there are sometimes like composite characters. Sure. Like for example in the song Eye of the Hurricane, mm. I had a close call low siding a motorcycle at speed. Uh, but that wasn't enough to fill out the whole song. There also needed to be uh, this character that I'm witnessing. Um, and so I combined a friend of a friend who died on a motorcycle with my experience of a close call. And I started to craft a song about the reasons why you would have this 
craving to clear your mind with speed uh, on a motorcycle at 140 or 160 miles an hour. And uh, I, I had felt just enough of that to kind of get a sense of it. But combining it with the gravity of a loss of a friend, um, the song started to take shape. And then I realized uh, it would just be a lot more interesting if the person who died was female rather than male. Um, I tried it both ways, and my heart just said, this is, this is truer. Um, you know, there's some film director who says, I, I, I tell the truth, and I use some lies to do it. Uh, <laughs> right. That's how you talk about, you know, the, the fictitiousness of a movie set to tell a story that's true for everybody. And, and the same, I guess creative geography is actually a film term. That's the term you use to describe the fact that when you watch a movie and you see someone climbing up the courthouse steps and then they open the door, the next shot is from inside the door and you see them walk in. And we always assume it's the same door. And of course... Right. In terms of how you make a film, it's never the same door. Right. Right. But in terms of the story, yes. it's it's true. Amazing, yeah. You know, I know you teach songwriting uh, at Omega and maybe other places as well. Can you, um, this might be difficult to do, but can you describe a little bit your creative process of coming up with a song out of thin air? Yes. Okay. Um. I start with whatever moves me, whether it's a a musical thing, a new tuning, uh, a lyrical idea. Um, And if it moves me, I make this crazy assumption that the reason why it moves me is that it's coming from a place that I'm going. In other words, it knows something I don't. Uh, And I I listen to it with that assumption. I listen to it for... uh, how can my heart get this subtle transmission of this truth? So, you know, the easiest way to kill that is to take my cleverness and say, oh, I know how to make this into a song, which is not the point. You don't want another song. You want the message. You want the lesson. You want the transformation. And so instead of using cleverness to finish the song, I will sometimes spend a lot of time just wanting to feel more intently what the music is helping me feel. Um, And, you know, there's no easy way to describe that. I mean, imagine that, um, imagine that I could foresee the future. Imagine that I got this weird feeling of falling when I played a particular riff. And if I listened really carefully to the riff, I could see the way the light comes in the window. And if I, if I kind of, started to put words to that and abided with that feeling for a long time, I could, I could read the, the, the signs that were out the window. I could re- realize what city I was in. I could, I could gradually, like in a dream, uh, I could look at my watch. I could figure out what time it is. I could figure out what day it is. And then I could warn people before the elevator fell, before all these people died in this elevator in Chicago, I could warn them. And, you know, this is a crazy way to describe songwriting, but this is kind of the process I use. I I want to bring a scene to life that hasn't happened yet. And instead of it being saving people's lives on an elevator, it's actually saving my own life. And the way that works is 
I trust that in the process of writing a song, I can see through the emotional window of the music, I can see a place, a, a way of seeing the world that I have not seen yet. And it's as if it is calling to me. It's a, it may be a modeling, it may be modeling a certain kind of um, openness or forgiveness or wonder or beauty or presence uh, that is difficult for me to get to. And little by little, as I write the song, I get to experience that and feel it and acclimate. I get to adjust my heart to expect that, not just while I'm listening to the song, but expect it in life. And, you know, if you had never gotten a glimpse of what true peace had felt like, you wouldn't know how to find it. But once you know, then you can say, ah, it's a little bit more like this, a little bit less like that. Once you get a glimpse of it, you can navigate toward it. Uh, And so that's, that's incredible. That's how I write. Yeah. It's amazing. So, you know, you write for yourself that way, but on your website, you, davidwilcox.com, you also talk about custom songs. How does, yeah. that, how does, that, how does that process work? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that happened by accident. That was a really interesting thing. Somebody called me and he said that he needed, uh, he needed me to write a song for him that would reframe a traumatic thing in his life so that he wouldn't stay stuck in the old way of looking at it, but he could somehow get free of it. And I said, well, that sounds like therapy. And he said, yeah, I've tried therapy. It works for a while, but I need, I need therapy that I can get to when I need it, mm. not just the weekly appointment. I need it when I'm starting to go down that right. dark place. Yeah. I need a song that can get me out. Wow. And so I listened to his story, and I wrote a song that reframed the traumatic thing. And it worked. He loved it. And I was kind of apologetic. I said, well, you know, I, I spent days on this. I, I would have to charge you for it. And he said, that's totally fine. Yeah, right. and, uh, of and so I, I wound up mentioning this on my website and somebody else called and said, oh, I need that too. Wow. And now I've done a lot of them, wow. like 30. Amazing. And uh, each time, it's a different scene. It's a different story. Sometimes it's a tribute. Sometimes it's an apology. Mm. Sometimes it's, I need to know how I could have everything I wanted and not have the life that feels right. Sometimes it's uh, um, a song of remembrance. And so uh, I... I have loved every one of them. And what it feels to me like is that it feels like I have spent a lifetime learning how to decipher the Mm -hmm. subtle emotional messages of my own heart. And now I can use that same skill, but turned to another's heart in service to their story, in service to their sort of awakening. And uh, when I do that, uh, it's this miraculous sense of trust that we both have. We come to music with this sense of we can be brave and tell the truth because we're doing it for the sake of music and it somehow makes it, um, it gives us permission to be that brave. It's amazing. And uh, to me, the, the, the healing power of music and your music, you know, you're talking about opening your heart and playing that resonates with other people and their hearts are in tune with you as well. That's incredible. Yeah. Is that music 
out there in the public or just for them? Or will that ever see the light of day? That's a good question. There are a lot of these songs that when I've played them for other people, uh, they have said, oh, I can't wait for that record. And I said, well, I don't know. It's not really a record. They said, well, what is it? I said, I don't know. Because I, I think that for those songs to really shine, you would need some of the backstory because they are written for the person who knows the story. So there's a presupposition of the backstory. Right. And, um, and that's a really fascinating thing too, you know, because, you know, music used to be a thing that you would hear in a dance hall and there would be a band on stage with these really loud instruments, trumpets, trombones, you know, and, it's because the instruments needed to carry because the, the people who were listening, you know, were hundreds of feet away right. in a dance hall. Right. And gradually, as technology changed, we could hear music in our living room. And then you could have songs as if spoken to you from a distance of 20 feet instead of 200 feet. And the whole style of songwriting changed. Instead of Frank Sinatra at full voice, yeah. it, was, it was Cat Stevens, you know, with this little whisper you know, and it's like, wow, he's speaking just to me. And so, um, I think, uh, it's fascinating to me that now, of course, most of us listen to music that no one else can hear. It's in our earbuds. It's someone whispering two inches away. And so you wonder, well, what would a song sound like if it was written for that Mm -hmm. instead of being written for a crowd? I'm, I'm just going to tell you this and I'm going to whisper it so no one else will hear because that's how you're hearing it. Right, right. And that's the way custom songs are written. It's like, no, you know this story. I'm not going to have to tell you the story. I know it's for you. You know it's for you. So let's start in the middle. So if we were to put these songs on the web, like on a page on a website, they would have to have a little of the interview from the person, hear their voice, hear a little of their story, have some photographs maybe. Sure, Um, sure. And... Yeah. It could unfold into um, a window into someone's heart, a window into, oh, this is a real person that this song is about. This isn't written for everybody. This right. is written for one person. Yes. And yeah. that's kind of a fascinating turn, yeah. following technology right into your ear. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it would also resonate with others with similar experiences. And, you know, that's amazing, David, because I don't know anybody else. I've never heard of anybody else doing that. So. Kudos to you. Another up-and-coming musician, someone who's hearing your music, wanting to learn guitar or any instrument, how can they get some of that, what you're talking about, opening the heart, I call it coming from some kind of spiritual uh, experience, how can they get that? What advice would you give them? It's fascinating thinking about musicians coming up. Uh, I think... You get what you look for. And I think the tricky thing is allowing yourself to imagine the possibility of music being more important than you think it is. Allowing the possibility that music came into your life for a reason bigger than you know. It's not just something you're good at. It's not just something that's fun. It's something you were given as uh, this 
is the way your heart can hear. So this is the way I'm going to tell you. Uh, it's as if uh, you are being given a, a hint of how good your heart can feel. And, you know, when you're given that choice, you either have to, you know, spend the rest of your life trying to remember that that's possible, that your heart can feel that good. Um, or you would have to spend the rest of your life trying to forget that that's possible in order to adapt to that mediocrity and, and forget that bliss is possible. So I think um, uh, the, 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 the counterintuitive part is, um, you know, everyone will tell you, uh, oh, music is fun, but, you know, have something to fall back on. Don't take it too seriously. I would say take it way more seriously. Imagine that the time you spend in music will be what you are grateful for on your deathbed, regardless of what happens with where your music goes in the rest of the world. And, you know, when people said to me when my music first started to go, they, they would say to me, so where do you want your music to be in 10 years? And I would say, right here. <laughs> I want it to surprise me. I want it to be new. I want it to be uh fresh. I wanted to welcome me into a life that has some frontier, that has some horizon, you know, that has some adventure. And uh, so, yeah, that's the wild part. Um, instead of being sensible about your music, uh, I, would, I would dare you to um, imagine that it's in your life for bigger reasons than you know. It's not just that you can do it, you can make music. No, no. What does the music want to make of you? That's the question. <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful. David Wilcox, thank you so much for being on Musicians on the Record. I've had so much fun and enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I'll play a song for you. Great. Chet was sitting, looking out that window in Amsterdam. We don't know if he jumped or fell or was pushed. If he was in Amsterdam, he was probably using again. Wow. Seems like everything he looked at must have been whispering how close he was to that edge. My Addiction Change the wiring in my brain So that when It turns the switches And I am not the same So like the flowers toward the sun I will follow stretch myself too thin like there's a part of me that's already buried that sends me out into this wind and my old 
addiction. It's the flood upon the land of this tiny lifeboat could keep me dry. But my weight is all that it can stand. So when I try to lean just a little for just a splash to cool my feet, ah, uh, that trickle turns out fickle, fills my boat up five miles Five miles deep and my own addiction makes me crave only what is best for me but I crave like these just this morning songbirds crave upward from the nest to see these tiny birds outside my window they'll take my hand to be their mom these open mouths will just trust and swallow anything that comes along guess that's just me and my old addiction now the other side of day as the springtime of my life's time turns the other way if a swan can have a song I think I know that tune But the page is only scrawl And I have gone This afternoon This afternoon But the page is only scrawl And I have gone They're writing songs of love But not for me Of lucky stars above But not for me With love to lead the way I found more clouds of gray than any Russian play could guarantee. I was a fool to fall and 
get that way Hi-ho, alas, and also lackaday Although I can't dismiss the memory of her kiss I guess she's not for me Thank you so much, David Wilcox, for being on Musicians on the Record. That was Chet Baker's unsung swan song, and the song that David performed for us earlier in the interview was called The View from the Edge. Incredible stuff from David Wilcox. Thanks so much for being on the show. I loved it. What did you think? We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. I loved when he was talking about the power of being in the pocket, getting his first break, uh, making custom songs. That's amazing. You can contact this guy and he'll write a song for you. Who who else does that in the business? Nobody but David Wilcox. That's awesome. And uh, how he wants people to feel around his music. Just incredible stuff. Amazing. If this is the first time you are here with us, welcome. And if you've listened and watched before, welcome back. We're really glad to have you here. If you'd love to watch this interview with David and I, you can certainly do that. It lives on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at musiciansontherecord.com. Until next time, I'm David Ward. Thanks for listening. Have a great one. 